0: Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Brian O'Connell.
1: I'm Sean M. Thompson. And I'm Christopher Burke.
0: And today we're going to be talking about Trouble Every Day, a 2001 French-English-language erotic horror film uh, directed and co-written by Claire Denis starring Vincent Gallo, Trisha Vessi, Beatrice Dahl, Alex Dekas, and Marilu Marini, Uh, scored by Tindersticks, uh, a band, I believe, and shot by Agnes Goddard, the great cinematographer. So that's the team that brought us this... uh, this nightmarish uh you know experience that we all uh shared this past week um i believe my
2: favorite thing i've heard so far was chris's letterbox review which was uh what was that chris (laughs)
1: Uh, another entry in the ongoing saga of vincent and his gallo only you know gal (laughs) as in woman
0: (laughs) yeah i've never it's a bad joke it's it's funny i've i've never actually uh seen vincent gallo in anything i think this is the this is my introduction to his um... like
2: i know i haven't yeah I actually i haven't seen the full movie but i know he was in brown bunny with chloe savini because there's that infamous um well there's a bj scene in it that was like real
1: it was real yeah oof i
0: uh oh i'm and looking it's at I his mean, that's the you know
1: yeah, it's I think unsettling. they were in a relationship at the time, and like yeah, I but did, uh, you know, I, I really read still. about it at the time. But yeah, it's different, <laughs> definitely. Uh,
0: he, I think he had like a, a sort of bit part in Goodfellas. That might be the only thing. Did I seen he? It. I can't remember. Now. I'm looking at his I at his it. filmography. Yeah, he yeah he's uh, in Goodfellas. He's Henry's '70s crew number three. So. That's a very high up. Yes. Um, But anyway, (laughs) but it actually, so, but this isn't my first uh, Claire Denis film. She's the director. Um, uh, Very, you know, uh, well-regarded and established director. Um, And I guess to kick it off, I was wondering, you know, for both of you, is this your first film that you've seen by her? Have you seen, Any of her, you know, any of her other stuff, I know her most, you know, recent and maybe most uh, culturally known film right now would be High Life, but I mean, have you seen any of them? I'm just curious. Because this is interesting when compared with her other films, although it's obviously interesting on its own enough.
2: Um, I had seen High Life, but that was about, well, actually that was recently, that was within the last six months. Mm. But that had been the only thing I'd seen before this.
1: Uh, Chris, have you seen any of her? Yeah, films? I, I will. Uh, I will try to keep this brief. I actually have a little bit of a history with this movie because I've been meaning to see it for like mm. a long time, and I ended up seeing a previous, a, a different Claire Denis movie as my first of hers just like a month ago. So uh-huh. uh, I watched, ba- I watched her movie *Bastards* um, from I think 2014 about a month ago, and I, I really enjoyed that, but I, I wouldn't say that I loved it. Mm. Uh, I liked. Trouble Every Day more, but the thing is that I've been meaning to see Trouble Every Day since almost when it came out back in the early 2000s. I can't remember how I first heard of it. uh, This might be one of the longest things that's on my to-watch list that I've knocked out (laughs) recently. Uh, Because when I was in high school, if you were interested in independent film, you were required to be a fan of Buffalo 66 at that time. And that's a really good movie. I still stand by that movie as as a really good film that that people should watch. Um, But I loved it, and so I kind of paid Attention whenever I saw Vincent Gallo's name come up, and I either reading about something he was involved in is what put me onto trouble every day, or I may have first heard of it from reading about like new new French Extremity films, yeah, because I've seen it associated with that too. And you know, Brown Bunny came out around the same time I started hearing about New French Extremity, uh, so you know, there, there's a couple ways that I could have actually gotten this on onto my radar, and I don't remember yeah. which one it is,
0: yeah. Uh, this is actually. We talked a little bit on our torture porn episode about uh, New French Extremity, you know, with regards to Martyrs and, uh, you know, earlier with Irreversible. But um, this is actually one of the foundational films of the New French Extremity, because uh, it, was, it was one of the ones mentioned in that very critical essay by James Kant that uh, coined the term. And... It's interesting because this film, Trouble Every Day... I mean, Claire Denis is a very highly acclaimed director. Um, I think the consensus is, you know, her film Beau Travail from the 90s, which I love, um, is, you know, considered one of the best films of that decade and everything. Um, And she typically gets, you know, uh, enthusiastic response. But Trouble Every Day, at the time of its release was absolutely excoriated it was you know it was a failure it was silly it was you know is somebody Yeah, silly silly that one that defies belief (laughs) some people said it's a silly movie and uh, the new york times review and what has to be one of the laziest uh descriptions of this film i could possibly imagine said it's just dracula with pretensions is what they described it as which is that's just deranged. absurd um i don't know i I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out how i feel about this movie myself but i was really shocked to see the um i don't know the the backlash to how it was received especially since it's by such a major well, i mean filmmaker. i think the
2: whole point of this film is that it's taking on vampirism from a more realistic approach like
0: well sort I, of i don't yeah. really
2: see the dracula part because that's you know it's that's not like dracula. the supernatural version
1: no i mean the yeah thing... it's anti-romantic too in a number of ways oh, um, yeah. oh yeah at least in terms of like literary style or whatever you know there's romance in it but it's not It's never what you think it is, and it's not uh, the same kind of gothic sensibilities as, as like, Dracula would usually be associated with. Right. Well, I, I never thought Dracula, but I will
0: say that actually part of the fun for this movie for me is it does adhere to certain gothic conventions in a very playful way. I mean, it, you know, the sort of, you know, figure that's locked up in the attic room and you know the I, d- you know, I
1: did think a little bit about that. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's good. Sorry, it go it ahead. definitely <laughs> it's definitely toying with those uh genre conventions as Denis, you know, as a filmmaker likes to do. Evidently she's hopped through a variety of different genres. But um I guess we should talk about <laughs> the story uh which is presented and we were talking about this prior to the episode in a rather um elliptical evasive way i mean don't go to this movie expecting you know the the st- like it's it's a vampire movie but you're not going to get like uh at least initially you're not going to get the the thrills and the hooks that you expect to get from from a horror movie of this type uh, no it's, pre- it's
2: much more of a drama i think
0: in a way but even more than a drama it's like a it's a mood piece you know it's very much about this um it's it's like a heavy it, to me more than than fear this has a very you know melancholy uh you know reflective atmosphere um that you don't usually see in in horror films it's sort of sad and
2: desperate most of the characters like there's no yeah. glamour to it
1: no there's no (laughs) glamour to this movie Um, it reminded me a bit of the of the tone and sensibilities uh to a degree of of personal shopper where like so much of it is really just this loneliness following people around a city i mean it's coincidental that it's paris in both cases but i I was reminded a little hmm. bit of the mood of that one
0: yeah i need to see that still i know it's quite uh you know divisive and i know some people who really love it but i haven't seen personal, personal shopper yet but i should because it's oh, okay. it yeah, it's a new religious. favorite of mine actually oh really cool okay so i'll have to i'll have to watch it then um but yeah, i mean this is it's it's very much and it's also like all of denis films at least the ones that i've seen it's extremely uh, sensory, not in a glamorous way, but you were pointing this out, uh, Chris, in your uh, response to this movie on Facebook, but there's such an emphasis on touching things in this movie and, you know, these sort of tactile surfaces that, you know, the characters are interacting with. It's very much a a film about um, touch and desire and sensation and all of these things, although it's not... Um, as we'll get into a very appealing <laughs> vision of desire, um, but I get, let's take it from the very top. Before we even get to know these characters that we're going to be following, we get this brief pre-credits scene of this. I don't think it's it's Vincent Gallo and Trisha Vesey. Um, this couple that's sort of embracing and kissing each other. Right. And then we, we fade to this sort of very beautiful impressionistic view of like the water under the bridge and it's like sunset and silhouetted. And then it has the title trouble every day, but I thought I wanted to
2: thing where the music is the title.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a title song. I think it might be an original song. Um, I don't know, but, uh, it's, it, it, it was uh, written for the movie, evidently. Um, and what do we think? I mean, I thought it was interesting to start in this way with this couple that isn't evidently related to the main action in any way. Um, what do we think of this opening? Why do we think, you know, Denis chose to start this gruesome story in this way? Any, any guesses, any thoughts?
2: I think a lot of what the film is attempting to do is to get at the animal nature of desire.
0: Hmm. Yes. I think I This agree. is
2: evident because there's a number of shots with dogs. Oh, yeah, um, there are. Yeah. Huh, yeah. And sure. <laughs> it, I mean, you know, just down to like. Uh, the mixture of um, sex and violence, for instance.
0: Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, and I mean, you see this... I love that the film plays up the ambiguity of this in a way, but um, you see both in this opening and in subsequent scenes, whether they're between uh, Vincent Gallo's character, Shane Brown, and his wife, June, or um, between Beatrice Dahl's character and various other people, um Uh, But you see that there's this intentional ambiguity played up in the kisses, you know, where they're, um, they're they're kisses, but they're not tender in a way. They're sort of intense and almost hungry, um, which becomes literalized, obviously, later. But, you know, like even on the, uh, it might be on the plane or it might be when they get to the hotel, but when uh, Vincent Gallo's character is... I think it's in the hotel. He's checking in to a Paris hotel with his wife. He starts kissing her arm, and there are these sort of quick, almost, you know, you know, ravishing kisses like up the whole length of her arm. Um, and I really visually, on a visual level, I enjoy that the film is sort of intentionally playing up this this ambiguity between the you know the, the the act of love and maybe something more assertive and unsettling. Um, I mean, what do you guys think? Any, because that's a, I would say a fairly frequent motif in the film.
1: Yeah. I think that's the, the idea of recontextualizing the act of touch, especially in that example you're talking about, I think is really what, you know, drives the movie and, and relates exactly to what Sean was saying about, the film exploring the connection between, you know, desire and, and this kind of violence or, you know, the animal nature of desire or however you want to think of it. But uh, I also, you know, I, I also want to say, I, I like that you use the word impressionistic uh, to describe yeah. kind of the opening. And, and I was trying to find the right word for it. And that one just eluded me for whatever reason, but that's perfect. Uh, and I think, you know, talking a little bit about the, the uh, sort of anonymous, Make out scene that opens it up. I actually Mm -hmm. went back and rewatched that because I was wondering about it. Like, was that somebody that we met later on at some point? Because I couldn't remember. And I don't think it's anybody connected to the rest of it, right? Yeah, as far as I can tell. And I I think that's that had me confused for a bit. But I think just hearing uh, some of the discussion so far has kind of prompted me to think that it's it is trying to extrapolate what is happening with the core set of characters out into the broader world and, and making that comment that Sean mentioned. So I, I think that that's really helped crystallize that opening for me. I
2: mean, I think it's important also to note that we never really see the faces of the two lovers in the car. They're sort of yeah, these... Yeah, I think one like, of them
1: has blonde hair is all you can really tell yeah, about the woman. Yeah, but
2: they're these, these uh, vague people we don't really get to know and all we see is just their sort of like desire for each other and like just how they're just going at it and touching each other and rubbing each other and kissing each other
0: yeah it's it's very and I think I'm, I'm actually checking right now by the way just as a uh, as a as a tip to our listeners <laughs> uh, we discussed this before the episode but um, this movie is very hard to find uh, and we we watched it on our our old friend, F'dUpMovies.com, which is uh, very reliable for this sort of thing, but obviously try to get it elsewhere. Um, I believe
2: it's on... I didn't know Microsoft had movies you could rent, but it's on
0: (laughs) Microsoft. Um, Yeah, but I mean, anyway, I was just checking it, and somebody pointed out in one of the reviews I was reading, and I think they're right, having looked at it um, a second time, is that the man in that opening sequence has this necklace, and it's a necklace that looks like it's made of teeth, right? Like like fangs or molars or something, right? So already that that's a that's an important detail that I I certainly didn't notice it
1: when I first watched yeah, it. I, I definitely didn't notice that. Yeah, I but missed that. Yeah, these... have, she. I mean, Claire Denis definitely puts a ton of detail into that. Like I've noticed that there's stuff that I didn't catch. You know, in the other movie of hers that I watched, that I still sometimes think about.
0: Right. There's there's a lot of clever moments in here. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's a great scene where Beatrice Dahl's character is out um on the prowl, as we later learn, and she sort of lifts her jacket in an ecstatic sort of gesture, right? You know what I'm talking about, where she like yeah. lifts yeah. and it looks like bat wings like that's that's what the image at least that's what it reminded me of right i think I that's f- intentional there there has there's a lot of almost like visual puns like that in this movie um of these sort of almost jokey but but obviously very serious <laughs> at the same time allusions to obviously vampirism and cannibalism but also just uh consumption and predation and all of these uh various elements that are you know the film is focusing on um but i guess we should get into the the initial scenes right um i mean i'm a little fuzzy on the specific i mean chronology. i think it, yeah go I ahead i want to
2: say it goes directly from the couple in the car and then we have the impressionistic opening with
0: um the water
2: with the water and the yeah, beautiful rise or set um i think it's set but um i think the next thing is uh it's
0: Beatrice the Stella's airplane
2: character of core oh um, does it
0: go does it go to the airplane or the truck scene
1: is the question oh uh, you know it's probably the truck scene and then the airplane yeah yeah i think it's... it
2: opens with the truck scene and we get um we get Beatrice Doll's character sort of just walking along the road, and uh, this truck stops for her, and then we cut, and um, I, basically, I, I think that's when uh, the husband shows up on his motorcycle, um, Leo,
0: yeah, and tracks her to ahead. a field where he finds the uh, the truck driver, you know like ripped apart basically on the ground um you know his face is fucked up and everything and then he goes up to beatrice doll but we should call her corey i think that's her name um but also by the way for me personally this is just a personal view but beatrice doll is the standout performance in this whole movie i'll just say that um i I don't know vincent gallo too well or any of the other actors really but uh for me and we've talked about her with inside sean before um yes yes but uh, she's just really quite a performance in this movie i mean we'll get to the the big scenes later but i mean she barely talks right does she have
2: one line of dialogue
0: yeah, I don't even remember if it was one line of dialogue, but she
1: doesn't... She has at least one, yeah. There's yeah. one significant one.
0: Um, yeah, but she's very she's a silent character, but a very physical, feral performance at some times. Uh, but also, you know, very weighted with I mean, you know what something... I just
2: realized about the dog stuff? Sort yeah. of the way Leo treats her is sort of like a pet. Because <laughs> it's like he locks her in the house during the day... If yeah. she escapes, and then they'll have to go get her and bring her back.
0: Yeah. You know what it reminded me a lot of um, it would be obviously Let the Right One In, right? Yeah. Um yeah. which I that's up there with my favorite vampire movies, probably top Yeah, Let three. the Right
2: One In is almost like um almost like a sweeter version of this.
0: It's hard to say. I mean I feel like it's less violent, and it has a uh, a less hopeless view of intimacy. Well, I guess I mean, it's
2: also that like the vampirism is much more supernatural in Let the Right, right One right, In as right. well.
0: Right. Well, I mean, she does should... like
2: scale a building, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, but um, I mean, I guess the main difference, and we'll talk about this. The thing that I was reminded of was the fact that in Let the Right One In, the vampire. Um character also has this caretaker who has to um sort of you know keep control of her in certain ways but um and provide for her, but uh I mean, I guess the explicit difference um is is that although while let the right one in is very much about sexuality in in several ways um in this film. The vampirism is explicitly, at least, linked to uh, a sexual compulsion, right? It's it's some sort of uh, physical, sensual desire that these these people will learn about the the backstory later. Um, have to satiate it does i don't get the sense that you know if she doesn't consume flesh or drink blood that she's gonna die or something you know it doesn't seem to be that type of situation um you know it just seems that it's this compulsion that she can't control and that's no, obviously... it is very
2: much framed like um um well like some kind of predator yeah like a serial rapist or serial killer it's like yeah it's me. like they don't have to do it they just have this overwhelming urge to
0: yeah yeah yeah. oh and you know what else i thought of during these scenes with especially with beatrice doll it reminded me a bit of under the skin in a way in that yeah no i could see that yeah yeah um That,
1: that came to mind for me too
0: yeah she's sort of seducing these men um and it obviously winds up fatal uh for for the the men who are involved but um anyway this is when we get to the 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 plane, right? Um, I don't see, like, so much of this film, Chris, uh, prior to the episode, you, you described Denise's style accurately as quiet, right? And this is a film where, for me, you know, I saw it this morning, and what's sticking with me is mostly the Visual impressions, um, specific images, which which you know really stuck out to me. But I don't remember recall exactly much of the the dialogue itself, and I feel there's like very that. Might, yeah, th- there there is very little, but I feel like it it's a flaw uh, for me because the dialogue. What little dialogue is said is obviously important um, because otherwise it wouldn't be included. Um, but I, I mean, what what are they talking about in this in this first plane scene? I mean, is it just the standard like sort of horror movie exposition where it's like, oh, we're almost there, we're going to be in France or whatever? Yeah, right? basically, no. it's
2: something to the effect of like, well, first we see the lights and they go, I think that's Colorado. Uh, i guess to show Denver. that they've been in america yeah um, i think chris and then they sort of go into like we're on we're gonna go on the honeymoon but now i don't even know if they actually say that
1: chris but yeah, did... it i i re- went back and rewatched some of that because i i had some questions myself about how to interpret those opening moments and and what they talk about mainly is happiness. Are you happy? And and I do mm-hmm. think that that's part of a conversation that is extended throughout the film that, that gains a different significance as we recontextualize things. So I do think that the dialogue that's there, you know, on a first watch, it kind of does seem just like a new couple, lovey-dovey kind of talk about life. But yeah, it, it but... does sort of tie, it ties into all this desire versus violence stuff that goes on later and... You know, but the thing is that they, they microphone things in such a way, I think, on purpose that mm-hmm. the, the textures as they rub against one another or the, the gentle kisses on, on her arm or whatever take on the same kind of volume as their quiet dialogue. And I think that that's what interested me most about it, actually. Yeah. But the dialogue that's there talks a little bit about happiness, and they do mention that they're flying over Denver
0: yeah it's it's very much i mean what you're talking about uh it it situates the dialogue which most movies don't tend to do within a much broader network of sound and sensation and there is a certain i mean it could be a form of eroticism uh but obviously it takes on different connotations but there's a sense of sort of Like, hypersensitivity, hyper-awareness of all of these textures and noises and various, uh, you know, sensations that, um, you know, uh, so much of this film, as you were pointing out, Chris, um, is sort of, uh, assumes a sinister double meaning in retrospect. I mean, you know, when I see them checking into the hotel, which I think is the next scene, um, you know they're sort of kissing each other in public, right? And they go to the hotel room, and the maid is making the bed, and they already just sit down on the bed. And as soon as the maid leaves, they just start, you know, embracing and messing up the bed. And it's like, it's very much like, it's that sort of new couple, or, you know, young couple, maybe behavior that seems very obnoxious and annoying to those you know like i was rolling my eyes a little i'm like oh no, but i so- think it's
2: important that we mention the way that because um let me yeah get the name i mean the way that june uh tricia character plays it is like a young woman in love but the way right. that uh vincent gallo shane's character plays it is a little harder to pin down because you know, when he's on the plane after he's been kissing her, he has to sort of run to the bathroom. Yeah. And you get these images. He, you assume they're images he has. Oh of yeah, yeah. A I forgot The woman covered that, uh, in
1: blood. His wife. Yeah. His wife. Covered it's his in wife. Blood. Yeah. Is that his wife?
2: Oh, you're right. It's his yeah, wife. Yeah.
1: Because he was that. That was triggered by him kissing along her vein in the inside of her arm. So like when he was doing yeah. that, there was not just desire, but this blood, you know, violence started in him, and that's why he had to go. To the bathroom is because it was threatening to overwhelm him. Is is how we come to see it. I believe yeah.
2: Brian described this movie as a blood play ASMR, which is yes. fairly accurate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, mean, was... but yeah. When he's when they're going to the hotel room, he's like, we get his POV on the maid's neck.
1: Yeah, or, mm-hmm. yeah. or maybe it's when they leave. It's, it's another it's woman a, at first. In a, I think a that's when he's on the bus. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, but there's an awkward moment with the maid, too. That's that's just like like he stares
2: at the maid for a little longer. And on a first viewing, I thought, oh, are they like a swinger couple? Are they trying to feel her out for like a three way? But, you know, in retrospect, you realize it's him being like, how easy would you be to take?
1: It's like he he lingers on the mattress an uncomfortable amount of time while she's trying to make the bed and that's where I really noticed how much the movie's emphasizing texture because you really hear that the mattress set or the the, the sheet and blanket or whatever stretching across the bed as he's lingering there and this is all that sound is like pretty much all that you hear for a few seconds I think if I remember right and it's during this awkward moment that's a combination of sexuality and some kind of physical intimidation that almost it's very awkward between the two of them yeah. but that, that becomes significant later on too
0: yeah well that's us uh, obviously spoilers for every episode but um, I think it might be easier to talk about especially with Vincent Gallo's character if we just um, state the the central premise that only gets revealed to us in, in piecemeal over the course of the film but I mean I'll just put it I'll just put it bluntly. Um, I'll just you know, this is just this is the basic, you know, narrative element that explains what goes on. but uh, Shane has come to Paris to find uh, Leo, Corey's wife, who's a prominent neuroscientist, um, because at some point I, I don't know, I don't remember the details exactly. But he and Corey and Leo were involved in some sort of experiment that went wrong. I think it says it was to increase libido, um, or you know something related to libido at one point. But it has it it has turned both Corey and Shane into these, you know, quasi vampiric cannibalistic. Uh, you know, bloodlust, uh, people. Um, they're not, they're not monsters or anything. It's just some sort of biological compulsion that's been instilled on them by whatever happened. Um, and that's why the, the romantic intimacy, the seemingly romantic intimacy of Shane and his wife and his glances at the maid and women on the bus, um, you know, uh, takes on a very uneasy double meaning when viewed in full knowledge of this twist, because obviously every you know erotic glance for Shane is a uh, also a murderous glance. So it's um that's that's just I just figured it might be easier to discuss specific aspects of this with that just. On the table. I mean, to I did actually <laughs> yeah.
2: piece together that he had been part of an experiment. I thought he was going there to meet with the doctor because he knew he had this inclination towards violence when he was aroused, and that this doctor had been doing the same kind of um, research, experimentation maybe. and uh, research.
0: Yeah, I'll admit. I mean, I know the clues are there in the film, but I, I actually had to read a little about the film to get the full picture. Um, but is that right? Is it, is it an experiment? Chris, you'd probably, you'd probably know better than me.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, there's still stuff that I am a little confused about, but we do learn that Dr. Seminow was basically expelled from the scientific community for some kind of plant-based experiment in which he was testing stuff on humans. Uh, that much I think was made clear. They, I do remember a news article they showed did mention libido, but I don't really remember much else beyond that. Uh, I had the impression that there was either a love triangle possibly between the three of them or that they did know each other to some degree, but I I don't remember exactly how.
0: Because at one point, Vincent Gallo, I think it might be the longest stretch of dialogue in the film, but he explains that he was obsessed with Corey at one point. Now, how much of the truth that is um, and how much of it is just a cover up for the real nature of his his search is unclear, but, um, it definitely seems like he at least knew of her and probably I, you do get the sense that it might've been a love triangle, certainly. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, where were we in the film? They just, they checked into the hotel.
2: Um, I mean, the confusing thing about the film, at least remembering the chronology is that it's basically, um, to, stories that connect at one point, but it's the story of uh, Shane and what he does with his uh, new bride and the story of um, Corey and what she does and what Leo does with her.
0: Yeah. And it is, it doesn't, it's not a, this isn't an insult. It's not a narrative driven film in terms of, um, yeah, there's no, it's, it's, it's much more about, and, and the details are, are unveiled very slowly and quite uh, with a lot of understatement. Um, It's subtle. It's a subtle film, Uh, which might make it tricky for us to. um, Yeah, I think,
2: but I think the next chronologically, the next thing is. um, Oh man. I think the next is we establish that uh, Corey is um, in the bedroom and that the bedroom is a Leo locks it up. And
1: yeah, before... Uh, actually, before that, um, I quickly, I wanted to mention that, um, you know, when they after that awkward moment with the maid, the camera follows the maid for a while in a way that suggests she's going to be a minor character. And they show her stealing stuff from the hotel. And then also they, they focus on her rubbing and cleaning her feet in the sink. That was another key moment where I was mm-hmm. like, what? they're doing something thematically with touch here because of how they're focusing on that. Uh, but the maid does become more and more significant throughout the story, so I thought I'd mention that.
0: Of course, of course, of course. Uh, there are a lot of details like that in this film where, I mean, you can get maybe the direction, but what is the implication? I mean, the washing of the feet in the sink and various various other moments where... I mean,
2: I thought it was also to establish that she um, she bathes at the
0: hotel. Right, 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 right. And that i I wonder if it there's could also a... be
2: something as simple as she wanted to show off the maid, you know in <laughs> well, the
0: nude it might be that, um you know it could be you know in Vincent Gallo's character's imagination, what he's thinking about as she walks away, or it could be you know really, I mean, I think just Denise takes great pleasure and skill in. In showing the the body and the sensations of the body, not in an exclusively sexual way, even just in terms of, I mean, if you watch Beau Travail, um, it's not even, you know, people describe it as a as an erotic film, which certainly for a lot of people it, it could be, but it's also just about the, you know, the beauty of the human form, um, you know, in motion and. You get a you get a, a slightly more subdued sense of that here, um, just in her emphasis on these mundane acts and movements um, that that get their own little interstitial moments. But um, anyway, so what's the next major thing that we want to talk about in terms of story? Probably because... what John
1: was talking about that before I cut him off. <laughs> so I think that's what happens next, John. <laughs> Oh, what was Sean talking about? Uh, cut, the, well, with the woman, the woman, uh, you know, Coray being confined yeah, to her bedroom. The, um, so yeah, I cut Sean off because I wanted more to get or that less inner, in her. Uh,
0: I
2: guess with the gothic sensibility, this is probably the strongest part. Uh, well, they do go to a cathedral as well, but um,
0: yeah, I love that scene in the cathedral. Um, this is getting ahead of it, but that was really, that was one of the best visual moments for me because. Uh, june has this green scarf on and it flutters and then it blows away in the wind and it's just such a you know i don't know what it has to do with the film's overall project necessarily but it was just as a visual impression i loved that you know the green scarf against the stone of the walls and then just kind of floating away on the air. But anyway, you were saying about, uh, you were saying yeah, about I mean, her getting locked imp- in room.
2: It's not narratively driven is the thing. It's imagery. It's about sound and visuals. So yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
2: It, th- in this case though, it is to establish um, that Corey is basically locked up during the day in this tower. I mean, you know, house. Yeah. yeah. She's locked in her bedroom. Her husband gives her some pills. We never really know what they are. I assume they're sedatives.
0: Yeah, one assumes.
2: Um, I, but he locks her in, and uh, then he leaves, and he rides this great like just black motorcycle. Um, when we first see him, he's riding this black motorcycle, wearing all black. That sort of reminded me of in the, Under the Skin as well, actually.
1: Mm, mm.
0: Yeah, that's a nice little visual echo of Under the Skin. But, I don't yeah, same so with Personal you,
1: Shopper too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. I think Paris.
0: Under the Skin may actually have been subsequent to this though probably right i mean oh yeah for about
2: 12 yeah, years no, i mean this was 2001 yeah. under the skin was like 2015 i think
0: yeah you're right you're right 2013 i think but 2013
2: yeah. but um yeah so this is basically to establish you know how corey lives and what the doctor does how he leaves her at home during the day um and then she at some point i don't know if it's this scene or if it's later but we established that there's some young men across the street that are sort of um, checking out the house and checking out her and um, you don't really know what their motivations are. You assume maybe sexual, maybe criminal. You're not sure. They're
0: casing, they're casing the house. Obviously you think it might be a break in, but it definitely, I mean, it seems to be a sort of sexual fascination with Corey, the mysterious woman Locked up in the locked up in the tower. I mean, they're young men. They're like almost teenagers. It looks like you know. Um, but it's it's they're they're fascinated by this uh, mysterious woman. But it might it might I, I, it's unclear. It might start more with
2: unclear. It could also be something as simple of like as like wow that dad, that dude just um he just locks his wife up for the day, huh? Yeah,
0: and they they get to. You know, we observe the sort of routine of when uh, Doctor Semino gets home, when he—I wonder if Semino is a pun. I'm sorry, that's really juvenile of me, but I don't know. Seems <laughs> intentional. Um, but you know, when he leaves, when he returns, um, obviously we learn that that Leo is 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 burying the bodies of his, you know, of his wife's victims um to cover it up uh but you know they're just getting getting the rhythms of the of the household in the same way that the audience is 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 getting those rhythms um you know that's and Alex
2: the does a great job as well because you know yeah again like there's not a lot of dialogue so everything has to be very i mean this is literally a film that speaks in body language so
0: absolutely yeah.
2: um he he's, he's more of like he's more still, but like you know, like it took me until after the film to be like, Man, that's gotta be rough. Not only are you burying the people your wife kills, you have to know your wife is fucking a bunch of other dudes and
0: that's what well, they are talking about. But also I think he it's a very it's a good performance. Uh probably the most subtle of any of the performances in the film, but um he's you get a sense of guilt probably, right? Because you get the sense that he is partially at least responsible. I mean, for that's this true. Si- if he wasn't situation. responsible,
2: I don't know that he'd go through this much trouble.
0: Yeah, but he is the guy who fucked with, you know, this experimental situation whatever it was. Um, and as a result, this is this is what his life has become. I mean, I'm very interested in how this film depicts marriage as a as a as a thing because not not just sexuality but but marriage because we see two couples two married couples and in both cases it suggests that at the root of these marriages is a form of violence whether it's violence that is explicitly dealt with by the uh by the seminos or with the browns you know it's just sort of this hidden you know out of the way suppressed violence Obviously. i mean it definitely gets
2: into the for better or for worse part of the marriage uh, doctrine
1: that that lines <laughs> up really well with uh, it also it lines up really well with some of the themes in bastards because i would say that same basic criticism is present in that film too in a much more um actually probably in even a more direct way than it is here. yeah
0: i've heard uh, i've heard somewhere that bastards was even bleaker than
1: this film would you say that's accurate because i haven't seen it mm, i mean i would certainly call it bleak uh, but they're very different movies i mean they have a similar tone uh mm. in, in like similar atmosphere similar criticisms of society i think going on but very different kinds of stories and characters involved. So it's hard to compare the two, but okay. you know, there, okay. there's a commonality there though, in general. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I mean, I have, I have seen high life and I will say the, the connection I see between those two is there's an obsession with, um, reproduction in the body. Like almost yeah. like a, not quite Cronenbergian cause there's no, well, I mean the, the body horror doesn't like, they don't mutate into, you know,
0: it's not crab it's not monsters. It's not a it's closer to Crash than Video germ, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but there is um, definitely
2: a preoccupation like in High Life, not to spoil it, but you know, it's on this um it's on this uh spaceship and one of the things they do with the people on the ship that are male is they collect like semen samples cuz they're trying to like repopulate
0: basically. Isn't there I haven't seen High Life yet, but is there I heard about something
1: called the fuck box. Is that a fuck
2: box? Yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I actually took my headphones off for a second. So I didn't hear that because I do want to see high life still. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I I wonder what, you know, I haven't seen high life. I would
0: like to watch it, but um, I mean, she's uh, definitely
2: very, well, you don't want to ascribe too much to an artist based on the art, but her art is very horny.
0: No, certainly. Absolutely. I mean, that's not, that's no nobody disputes. I think earlier when I mentioned
2: Chris, Chris might have been looking at a letterbox review he he showed that said like horny people get into trouble or something.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: in the history of the world, horny has killed more people than anything. It was a drill was review. It. Oh,
0: drill! It was a drill tweet. Oh, great! Yeah, it's it's uh, a good one. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'm interested in the politics of masturbation in Claire Denise films because there's a paper if, idea that's a paper idea i'm I'm genuinely serious I mean I need to see high life but uh the masturbatory oh, there's a whacking
2: it in high life yeah for sure
0: yeah
1: um well there's the
2: elaborate
0: fa- whacking it actually
2: yeah. you can
1: write a whole paper on that topic in bastards alone like that's that's a very really? prominent oh, theme great. oh yeah yeah there's
0: no probably watch um, that one there's no masturbation in Beau Travai, but it is, it is perhaps conspicuous by its absence in Ornanism that sense.
2: in the work of Claire Denis. Yeah. I,
0: mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, once I've seen more of her films, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a stab at that paper. Um, but anyway, I mean, take, in a whack film, at it. take a, take a whack at it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's um, yeah, no, it's <laughs> But, um, I wanted to actually ask, ask, a. I know somebody who thinks that this film, and likes the film, but thinks that this is a sex-negative film. <laughs> what do we think about that assertion? <laughs> I, mean, is it, I mean, I think sometimes, especially when dealing with transgress- transgression, right? Um, you know, it it goes beyond conventional categories of positive or negative. Like Crash, we talked about Crash. Crash isn't a sex negative film necessarily so much as it's exploring an extreme of sexuality. That's beyond sort of positive or negative judgments um, at least in art. But what do we think? I mean, it definitely, this is a, a very prolonged immersion in negative images of sexuality. So what do we, what do we think of that claim? Do we, do we think that makes sense as a category for this, for this well, movie or not? I do think not? it
2: gets into the dark side of sexuality.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that's different from... I mean, that's different from sex negative because... So it, it, it gets... com The gender politics get complicated for me, right? Because Kore is, you know, basically using this you know, the, the male sexual desire that's attached to her as a weapon. And she certainly seems to take great pleasure. Like there is pleasure in what she's doing. It's not, it's not a, you know, a shameful thing. I think
2: that's one of the more disturbing elements is like, it's like, you know, when she does this terrible shit to human beings afterwards she's in like this great mood like she's just had the fuck of her life and she's like rubbing on him and stuff
0: yeah um but to me i mean the most the most disturbing part of this movie for me is actually we'll get to it when we get to it but after corey exits the picture because the whole final act where it's just vincent gallo and his wife is very disturbing to me. I mean, uh, the sequence in which he's fucking her and then he gets up and runs away and just starts masturbating because as we've learned, he just has to get, you know, reprieve himself of his horniness because he's going to murder his wife. He's unless get he get the poison out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's horrifying. Uh, and obviously the final scene between him and the maid, but we'll get to that, uh, when we when we get to that, um,
2: there's also an intense sadness, though, because the I don't know how much his wife knows, but like, it's got to be pretty rough to be on your honeymoon and you're, you know, making love and then your husband can't even like finish around. Well,
0: you. yeah, I mean, her sexual desire is being frustrated as well. Um, but what Chris, what did you think about that question of, I don't know, sex negativity, for lack of a better word?
1: You know, I, I want to say, no, I don't find it to be a sex-negative film, but I also can very easily see how one would arrive at that conclusion. And right. I don't know that I have a very good rebuttal of it. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I, would I think say it would be a that...
2: sex-negative film if, if, if it was trying to portray more normal people, but it's not. It's trying to portray aberrant people. So Yeah, it, well, it
1: is specifically talking about this condition as a disease, so I, I think yeah. that the fact that we're only seeing instances of sex in the context of a disease that makes you violent, I, I think has to be taken into consideration of the fact that that's not, you know, that's not a norm, necessarily, the yeah. I mean, they're, like, also, they're the portrayed
2: <laughs> like literal serial killers, so you're definitely not supposed to think they're like the heroes
0: no 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 there are no heroes in this movie but i mean i, I, mean, it, I think
1: it, yeah go ahead i think we have to consider that opening shot in that conversation and you know how is it being contrasted with all the sexual instances that come afterwards and so like we, we have a clear contrast here so but what, what does it mean necessarily and does it how does it tie into the sex negative thing i don't know really but it, it's it's got to be part of the conversation i would say yeah I mean, I don't know, because
0: the thing is, I feel like, okay, so like, here's a movie that I would, a movie that I love, one of my very favorite movies, but a movie that I would describe as basically sex negative. Um, well, not really, but you know, you'll know what I mean. Um, the Piano Teacher by Hanukkah is a film where sex is depicted as something absolutely degrading I mean you don't get the sense that it has to be absolutely degrading but um, it's joyless it's violent it's non-consensual in some cases and it's very um, it's it's just not it's not a film you walk away from thinking sex is wonderful you know (laughs) intimacy is wonderful right but in this film I mean the Claire Denis is horny, too, you know? And yeah. this movie is definitely also about pleasure, which is what's disturbing about it in many ways. But I feel yeah, like... the a...
2: disturbing element is that, you know, Corey and um,
0: Shane, uh, uh, Shane. They, when
2: they do this these extreme acts of violence related to uh, sex, they seem like they're really getting off.
0: It's pleasure. I mean, and I don't... I mean, and I feel like the film is interested in the in the pleasure as much as it is about the the violence of what they're doing, which I would I would argue um, avoids a, a purely sex negative reading, although the metaphorization or whatever of sexuality as a overtaking compulsive disease is. Maybe, uh, questionable on those grounds, but... uh, Well,
2: I mean, it also makes me think of something like, um, Lars von Trier's, uh, Nymphomaniac uh, 1 and 2.
0: I've never seen those.
2: Which I, I liked a lot, but, um...
1: I couldn't get through them. There were uh,
0: (laughs) elements
2: that were sex-positive, but it definitely wasn't all sex-positive. There was a lot of stuff that lets you see how being a nymphomaniac would definitely screw with your life.
0: Yeah, um, by the way, uh... We should do at some point uh, an episode on one of Trier's movies because I've only seen, I think, two. There are two of his films that are generally regarded as good, not the bad films that he made. What,
2: Antichrist and Melancholia?
0: No, Antichrist. I know people who hate that movie so, so much. Uh, what? I mean, yeah, no, I know people. I love people... Antichrist. I know people who hate that so, so much, like booed at the screen in the theater. Really? Yeah. Um, but I've only seen um, Melancholy. I, some, I
2: haven't seen House of Jack built, for instance. I know that got a lot of flack.
0: Yeah. I know uh, Gus Butler, who incidentally is a big Trouble Everyday fan. Um, Gus Butler, our, our mutual friend on Facebook. But um, he... Uh, he thinks the house that Jack built is really self-parodic and self-critical in a lot of ways, but I I wouldn't know. Um, But we should cover, I've only seen Melancholia and uh, Breaking the Waves, both of which I liked, especially Breaking the Waves, although I'm in no haste to watch it again. Um, But we should, we should talk about one of the ones that's, Really divisive or something because I don't know. I feel like it would be fun. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to
2: go Antichrist yeah. because Nymphomaniac. It's like it's like four
1: hours. So
0: yeah. I I've been. I should watch Antichrist. Um, uh. So let's it, do it that. It actually. It's, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I would. love to do that. And I was actually going to say that there is a tie-in to a scene in Trouble Every Day. Uh, I was actually thinking about Antichrist last night, and I'm like, you know what? I probably need to rewatch that. It's been a while. So.
0: Oh, let's do uh, I, that. I was actually uh, going to
1: mention a couple things about that on uh, on this conversation, anyway. So,
0: oh, yep. cool, oh, cool. Is it the? I know what the infamous Antichrist scene is. Is is it that scene, or
1: you know? Well, there's a couple that I think couple, of. But there's yeah, numerous. It's one of, the more, one of the most one of the most controversial scenes. Yeah, I'd say so. But yeah, we can yeah. talk about that toward the end. Of the, of oh, the heads
0: up! By the way, I just checked and. Antichrist is available on fupmovies.coms. So. Okay, but Antichrist <laughs> is
2: actually available on other stuff. I think uh, I actually have the Criterion of it.
0: Oh somewhere. really? Yeah, I've been curious yeah, I have about picking somewhere. I've been curious about picking up the Criterion, but I wanted to. I was thinking watch...
2: about it because I saw Green Knight recently, and there's a very prominent Fox in it that talks.
0: Oh yes, and ah. have you seen? Are you the only one who's seen Green Knight here? Because I haven't. Chris, I've have not you seen it? Yeah, I'm curious about it. Oh, you did a special feature on I, it. I did a special feature on
2: it, but I do I would cover it again, like, as a regular episode.
0: Okay, maybe. I'm curious, I'm curious. I just wanted to get it in, you know, like...
2: Because I just saw it, and I risked getting COVID to COVID see it. COVID for theater, it, yeah. so.
0: um, Anyway, back to Trouble Every Day. Where are we in the film at this... God, somewhere. Uh, We're just talking... I mean, we can just sort of talk
1: about...
2: I mean, I think we're we're sort of near the halfway point. You
1: the teenage know. boys we we just got introduced to the teenage boys who are casing uh Corey's uh, Corey's house.
2: I think we're onto the scientists at this point, like him trying to. Con- or, um, oh yeah, he's he trying, trying to contact these... the scientists.
0: Yeah, he keeps calling, but they. They don't really pick up and ignore him. And there's this great moment. I was so fascinated watching it. There's the scientist, not Leo. Different oh, guy. Oh, is it the brain? Yeah, he's cutting up this brain. Oh, that,
1: was,
0: that was so gnarly. I was watching it like that. It like a
2: real brain.
0: Like I think it might be. I mean, I don't know. But I was like, I was totally spellbound. I mean, he's just slicing it up like. You would slice up like a loaf of bread or something, and it it, it cuts so cleanly, you know. It's not, and then and they're, there's they're, this.
2: They're getting something. I don't know what. Yeah, it's they're this is the really if it's icky moment. But...
0: It's like a it's some sort of filament where he's sort of peeling it off Ugh. the side of the brain. It looks it sort was of very like... hard
2: for me to watch. I'm not gonna lie.
0: It was like this. Uh, it almost like it reminds me of like. A, the sort of frayed ends of like a banana when you're like Ugh, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. Does. yeah and I was like what I was really I was less grossed out by it than I was just like fascinated by it because you never see stuff like that but that was so interesting what do we think because it the, the camera lingers on this moment and this operation
2: well, I mean, I think it's a, a very easy way to establish these people are like experimenting on the brain.
0: Right, right, right. But also, like, look at how clinical and cold it is in comparison with, I don't know, um, certain other scenes and moments. I mean, I don't know. It it
1: felt I mean, like something. There is
2: something... a connection with um with the violence of the human body, and um, I guess this would be like the cold, professional version of it, as opposed to the the passionate. Very Hot, you know, and he did um very unprofessional version of it
1: that I mean,
0: <laughs> uh,
2: Shane and uh, Corey perform.
0: Yeah. What did you think, Chris? What did you think of this moment?
1: Um, I thought that it, it did a couple things. One, it, it basically did a job of analogizing people to like meat or parts or whatever in a way that like in the way that texas chainsaw massacre kind of revels in the idea of the body as meat here we've got right you know these ideas of of desire and violence that are being united in certain ways and here we've got a brain that's very pointedly being chopped up into different sections so i think we're meant to think about how is all this sectioned off in the brain and is it even sectioned off in the brain? And there's right, like, a movie is that's my, gonna explore why it's not. <laughs> is my brain really just like a
0: series of slices that, you know, can yeah. be Yeah, but it's it's and it and it's also just as a visual impression. It's really it's I'll think about that a lot um, just as just as an image. Um but anyway, I mean the midsection of the film is is pretty oh, can fuzzy. Can I mention one other thing real quick that I forgot? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 So uh,
1: the a little bit back when we f- first see her being held captive by her husband, she mentions two important things that come up uh, plot-wise. One is that first she tries to basically seduce him, and we're not entirely clear on even if they are husband and wife at that point. And so, yeah. like, she's overtly trying to use sex to convince him to do something, either to let her go or, or whatever. But then there's also, at the end of the conversation, she says she wants to die. Uh, and we, we since we learned that this is all a, con- a medical condition, a sickness, it's described as, you know, the fact that she's ready to die indicates that she's herself conflicted about some of this, and you know, that ties back into Vincent Gallo's character and his desperation at trying to track this guy down. So, yeah, sorry, I will oh, yeah. to get that out of the way because it comes up later.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good.
1: Um, but
0: yeah, I think the
2: midway point of the film is probably the heavy, the heaviest, uh, narratively that we get, cause we're getting, um, the scientists and eventually Shane is talking to one of them about, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but he says he works for a scientific company and they're interested in the research that, uh, Leo did before he was let go.
0: Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, is this the one that's sort of like pink lit? Is that the moment here? Yeah, you're... I think that's. Yeah, it's beautiful. It opens with this. Really, it's again, I, 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 I would really use. I, we've spoke used it before, but impressionistic is the word for Denise's visual style, and you you start off the scene with this these intense close ups of you know, water being shaken in these uh, beakers and these test tubes being, you know, swayed from side to side underwater. I mean, there's actually a lot of water in this film. I'm not sure what it exactly... Well, if you go to the
2: traditional vampire um, myth, they can't cross a body of water.
0: Right, right, right. But it's like... I don't know. I I don't think that's necessarily what she was getting at, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's the sort of uh maybe the fluidity of desire, the the literal fluids of desire <laughs> that we get to see in this movie whether it be blood or cum or whatever. Um but I don't know. It just seemed it was recurring enough that I was wondering what the what the implication was, but I don't know. Um, I don't quite know. But um, anyway, that I just really liked that brief montage that, that opened the scene. And this is when he starts explaining some of the backstory. Um, that, as I said, that he was obsessed with Kore and that he's looking for her. Um, but he doesn't tell anything about any experiment or anything that might explain the um the No, the, that was
2: the... why I actually just thought he he might either just be an interested party or literally did work for a company that was trying to uh, right, right get this information. I didn't bother to read up, you know, so
0: Yeah, no 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 no. But it's it's very much uh I don't know, it's it's sort of uh giving us giving us enough to know why he's well not why, but like the The general orientation of of his search, and that there's a connection between the I mean, two. He's also,
2: like I, I, feel so bad for his wife who thinks she's just on a honeymoon. Yeah, I mean, and wow, he's, he's got the ulterior <laughs> motives of trying to check in with this scientist all the time.
1: Yeah, I think he's she off. knows a little something though. Like I don't she think she's totally clueless bit, but about it. I don't
2: know. It. I mean, like to him, it's like his whole reason for being there is the scientist. So. Yeah yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think around this point we also get that cathedral scene, which is rife with a uh, sort of visual jokes. I think it is. It's not Notre Dame, is it? I don't think it is. But um, that you know. get the you get these close-ups of gargoyles, right? These like leering um, bat-like creatures, and then up on the roof, Vincent Gallo actually does the like a hammy vampire caricature as a joke for his wife he he puts his hands up and he hisses you know um as like a sort of a dracula caricature um which i guess i, I guess is just a, a wink at the audience in some ways but um that's i mean what do we think can we let's talk about the relationship between shane and june just a little bit because June feels like a very marginalized figure in the film, in terms of just the film isn't. I mean, it's giving more time to these other figures, but she still feels very important. So, what what do we think of what do we think of June's role in in all of this?
2: Just a very tragic figure, really. Hmm. She yeah. loves somebody that kind of can't love her the way he wants to without hurting her.
0: Right. Yeah. No. And she is like, literally, literally. No. 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 Who who wants to love her but is you know crippled by this uh by this compulsion um and and I mean there's so, I feel like there are moments with her that I'm forgetting but um you get the sense that she also is desirous of him obviously and is you know looking to be with him but can't um can't be with him because of how he constantly is is frustrating her desire um i mean i wonder uh, there has to be some form of symbolic significance to that green scarf that you know flutters about and sort of frames her face and then blows away in the wind almost like it's like the last shred of romance, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What do you? Well,
2: she's almost like a. She's almost like a ghost. Like she's there, but she isn't there.
0: Yeah. Uh, or... I, I don't know.
2: I mean, I think it could also be something as simple as the way the scarf uh, floats through the air it might be reminiscent of a bat flying through. The yeah, air.
0: yeah, that could be it
1: yeah. Well, it reminded um, me a little bit of the sh- the shimmering of the waves in that opening impressionistic scene. The way the yeah, green scarf definitely. flutters um yeah that that scene what stood out to me was how you know we've been talking about this a lot as a quiet movie but in this scene you have a loud church bell uh going off while they're showing kind of a distant shot you know the movie is often also shot very up close to the characters and here we've got some distance while they're goofing around and you can see also that they're talking sometimes but their voices are covered up entirely by the bells so i thought that was significant in the context of talking about the sound mixing and the, yeah. the purposeful choice of dialogue and omissions of dialogue. Um, yeah. I haven't thought much about the green though, but it does stand out because so much of the the color scheme is very purple and orange, as yeah. kind of suggests a dusk, uh, yeah, type of time of day.
0: Very much the colors that are established in that opening shot of the you know the bridge at night, the sort of dusky colors that you know carry through into into all of the other scenes, but in this case the green stands out quite sharply against the the stone of the cathedral i'm thinking about sort of
2: cheeky to have a pseudo vampire hanging out at a cathedral
0: (laughs) yeah but like yeah but it's also like think about that that the bells are overpowering their dialogue and that they're at this cathedral and that's the it's really one of the more intimate moments we get between the two of them i mean i wonder is the religion element tied to the to the marriage element or the element of their chastity in their relationship uh are the are the bells like the throbbing of their you know their suppressed desires that are just breaking over their small talk or whatever i don't know i mean it's i feel like i could be reading too much into certain choices and also but... maybe
2: it's because i just watched the green night but there's something <laughs> about the color green and it's, yeah. it's only june that uh, where is it right yeah, green it could would be something be... with like I don't know, like.
1: Well, there's a dark green on the the maid is wearing a bra that I think was dark green. Yeah, but it could be something like, like
2: nature and like that's... the natural, you know, like green, like verdant and. and yeah, then, you know, obviously, uh Shane and. um Uh, Kore, you know, they wear a lot of black or, Kore's guy's white that ends up getting disgusting with red.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the white in this movie only exists to be stained. It only exists
2: to get blood on it, basically, yeah.